Thank you, John, for those uh, wonderful hymns this morning. If you have your Bible, I would invite you to open in the Old Testament to the book of Genesis in chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, we will be there in just a moment. It is good to see all of you here on this beautiful Sunday morning. I hope that you have come for no other reason than to open your heart and your mind and your mouth and praise and glory and honor to our great God and Father in heaven. As we have been uh, reminded already on a number of occasions this very day to do. Uh, just to, before we get into our lesson, to give you a, a little preview of the next week or so, uh, our family, Lord willing, is uh, planning to uh, leave town here in a few hours and travel to my mom's house in Oxford, Mississippi to spend a few days with her and then on to uh, Wilsonville, Alabama to uh, be with. Anna's parents and her side of the family there for a few days. And uh, we're not going to be here next Sunday. I thought that I was going to have a Sunday off, but uh, my father-in-law asked me a week or so ago if I would like to preach next Sunday there in Wilsonville, and I agreed to do that, uh, much to the chagrin of my children, because they were looking for a, a Sunday to listen to Papa uh, preach, but they're going to have to endure me again next week. Uh, and Lord willing, we will be back uh, on January the 2nd on Monday, the first Monday of next year. Uh, so Brother Gavin is planning to be back the end of this week, and he is going to be uh, speaking to you in both uh, sessions next Sunday morning. Uh, I haven't said a whole lot about him, uh, mostly, mostly because he is usually with us, uh, but he is just, in my, my estimation, my judgment, doing a great job in our internship and uh, learning how to be a preacher, learning a lot about the work. He is just has a great mind and a uh, great heart and desire to know God and to know God's will. And he's just soaking up a lot of the scriptures and things that we have studied together and things that he has studied on his own. And uh, however little help I have been to him, uh, I, I'm glad for the opportunity to work with him and uh, look forward to uh, our work together continuing into this, this next year. Again, if you have your Bible with you to open there to the book of Genesis chapter 22, and we want to begin this morning's sermon by reading at the beginning of Genesis 22 in the first 19 verses. Genesis 22 and verse 1, the Bible says to us, Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac 
and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the, in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord came to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of your enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. As Abraham surely faced what was the most difficult task of his long life, and I know that all of us in this audience this morning who are parents, and especially those of us who are fathers, if we try to put ourselves in Abraham's shoes here, we could certainly say that I think of all the tests that he faced in his life, surely this was the hardest. But he faced this difficult task by speaking four significant words that we want to consider this morning. They are the words, the Lord will provide. This morning, I want us to think about these four great words. I want us to think about their meaning. I want us to think about their significance, not only for Abraham, but more importantly for each one of us today. As we think about the words that Abraham offered on this occasion that the Lord will provide, I would suggest to you, first of all, that these four words were really a strong statement of faith. Abraham was declaring, he was confessing his faith in God. I want you to consider the command that God was giving to Abraham as Chapter 22 begins in the book of Genesis. After Abraham has, for some 25 years, heard God's promise that he would have descendants, and as the time got closer for him to have a son, more specifically, he heard that promise from God that he and Sarah would not just have descendants, not just have a child, but they would have a son, and it would come from himself. It wouldn't be Eliezer. It wouldn't be uh, a son that he would have by a handmaiden or something like that. It would be Abraham and Sarah both having this son. And after hearing that promise being reiterated from God and restated from God time and time again, now God tells Abraham, what I want you to do for that son of promise that has now been born, what I want you to do is take him and to sacrifice him to me. I don't know exactly how old Abraham's son Isaac was at this particular point. Verse 5, I believe it is, says to us that he was a lad. At least Abraham uses that terminology to describe him. That doesn't maybe help us narrow down the age a whole lot, but he could have been, I think, anywhere from maybe 6 to 12, 14 years old. Isaac definitely is old enough to reason 
He is old enough to ask questions of his father. We, we have brought the supplies for the offering to God, but where is the lamb? Where is the animal that we are going to sacrifice to God? He knows clearly what is going on. And as it said to us back in verse 2, Abraham uh, knows Isaac and has known him for a long time, at least long enough to really love his son. So he is a young man, a child, Isaac is. How easy would it have been for Abraham on this occasion to have questioned God, maybe to have said to God, well, isn't there some other way? Isn't there some other sacrifice that I could offer to you? Or maybe Abraham could have asked God, well, how are you going to keep your promise? Because this is the son of promise and now you're asking me to take his life. How easy would it have been for Abraham just to say to God, I can't do that. Of all the things that you have asked me to do up until this point in my life, you've asked me to leave my home and my family behind, my comfortable life, Ur of the Chaldees, and go to a land where I didn't know anything about. I didn't know anything about the land, didn't know anything about the people there, and I have done that for you. Isn't that enough? But Abraham, to his credit, gave none of those responses. Rather, it is impressive to me in this text that he responded not once but twice, and he said the words that we are thinking about in this sermon today that the Lord will provide. First, before he bound his son and placed him on the altar, if you look there at verse 8, in answer to Isaac, his son's question about where is the lamb that we're going to offer for this burnt offering, the response, the answer that Abraham gives to his son is, God, the Lord, will provide. And then after the angel there at verse 14, the angel of the Lord spoke to him and told him to not take the life of his son. He again said there and called the name of that place in verse 14, the Lord will provide. Abraham didn't ask God why. Abraham didn't say, can we do this another way? Abraham just clearly said, the Lord will provide. No wonder Abraham is described in Scripture as the father of faith. He is the father of all nations, as we'll look at in a text here in a few moments from the book of Romans in chapter 4. He showed tremendous faith on this occasion to speak these words, that he had that much trust, he had that much confidence in God. Even before he offered his son Isaac upon the altar, he knew that somehow, some way, he didn't know all the details of that, but he knew he was certain in his mind that God will provide. I want you to turn to the passage that our brother Todd read for us a few moments ago. I have that passage up here on the screen if you want to read along here on the screen from the book of Hebrews. What do we know about the book of Hebrews? What do we know specifically about chapter 11? Well, it is often referred to as the heroes of faith or the hall of fame of faith or something like that is just a list of, of named and unnamed people who were faithful to the Lord who faced all kinds of obstacles and challenges in their life, who faced temptations as they served the Lord, and yet they overcame all that with the Lord's help and the Lord's grace. And they continued to be faithful to Him, oftentimes in dire circumstances within their life. And there is a great chunk of that chapter, Hebrews 11, that is devoted to Abraham himself. Notice what is said to us here again from verses 17 and 18. The writer says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall 
be called. Here is the Hebrews writer, I think, shedding some more light for us on the four words that we are considering this morning from Genesis 22, that the Lord will provide and asking or stating here that Abraham was speaking and acting by faith, that what Abraham did on this occasion was by faith. He had trust and confidence that God would provide for him and his son. And so if we take these two scriptures, Genesis 22 and Hebrews 11, and put them together, I think we can come to this conclusion that Abraham's words of faith were a result of his life of faith. It wasn't that he just on this occasion kind of stepped out of character, and now he's speaking words that the Lord is going to provide. He doesn't know how or when or all of the details about how that is going to come to pass. But this is who Abraham has been for much of his life. Yes, he is a man just like we all are. He's a human being. We can see through the scriptures that he has times when his faith, at least from my standpoint, doesn't seem to be as great or as deep or as strong as it is on other occasions. But he is still a man who is living a life of faith. And so it's just a natural thing for these four words to come out of his mouth in answer to Isaac's question in saying that the Lord will provide. And that leads us to our next thought here from Genesis 22. That Abraham on this occasion wasn't just issuing a strong statement of faith in God and God's ability and God's power to provide, but it was a living faith here in Genesis 22 that was on display for us. Throughout this text, there are a few words spoken, but there is a lot of action that is taken. And I hope you notice that. If you haven't, let's just kind of review that a little bit. After Abraham received God's command there in, in verse 2 of this chapter, that he was to take his son Isaac and go to the land of Moriah, that he was to go to the mountain that God would designate for him to offer Isaac upon. After Abraham received those instructions from God, notice the action that Abraham took here. First of all, it says to us that he rose up early in the morning. I don't know anything about Abraham's sleeping habits. <laughs> I don't know if that was just kind of a thing that he did every day or not, but it seems to me like maybe this was something that the writer is really trying to point out to us here. This is something significant. This action, even rising up early in the morning, should tell us a lot about who Abraham is, tell us a lot about his faith. That here God has told him, I want you to offer your son of promise on the altar to me. And Abraham, as we talked about just a moment ago, he didn't offer any excuses or try to change God's mind about this. But you know, he could have said, well, I know what God said, but I'm going to kind of wait. <laughs> and this isn't going to be the first priority of the day for me. But I think in the writer telling us that he rose up early in the morning to do what God had commanded him and instructed him to do, that he is showing us Abraham's faith that Abraham was ready to be about the business of God even though he knew this would be very difficult for him to do. He saddled his donkey, the text says to us here. He took his two servants and his only son here to the place that God told him to go. He split the wood for the offering. He traveled for three days to the mountain that God has specified. He carried the supplies in his hands. He built the altar. He laid his son Isaac upon the altar. He took that knife in his hand, ready to do what God had told him to do, to slay his only Son, his son of promise. Think about all the actions that Abraham was taking here in response to the instruction that God had given to him. Again, I would say to you that these action statements say that his words that we just thought about there, that God will provide, that they were just really an outgrowth of his life of faith. 
You know, at any one of these points in time, as Abraham is leaving where he is and going to the land of Moriah, as he has left the two servants, the young men behind, and he and Isaac are going up on the mountain, as they are there at the mountain, as he's building the altar, as he is laying and binding his son Isaac upon that altar, at any moment in time along that period of time, he could have said to God, that's enough. He could have said to the Lord, wait a minute. What do you want me to do? Why am I doing this? He could have asked God, how is all of this going to work out? I don't understand. But he did not. Instead, here was a man who was thinking and speaking and acting in a way that said those four words that came out of his mouth that I don't know how this is all going to turn out exactly. I don't know all the details of it. But I do know that the Lord will provide. He makes such a statement of faith and he backs it up again, I'm suggesting to you, with his life of faith, with his actions. Here in verse 5, as he speaks to his young men, notice he says, stay here to the young men with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there to the mountain that God had designated and we will worship and return to you. God has asked him, has instructed him to offer his son Isaac to him upon this altar that he would build. But Abraham has so much faith in God and God providing that he says, we're going to worship and we are going to return to you. Abraham, yes, had a lot of confidence, a lot of trust in the power of his great God. James writes something, of course, about the faith of Abraham and it being a working faith. In James chapter 2, beginning at verse 21, notice what James says to us here. He says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness And he was called the friend of God. The the quotation here from James chapter 2 in verse 22, God first spoke these words about Abraham's faith being counted as righteousness or reckoned to him as righteousness all the way back in Genesis chapter 15 in verse 6. And that was on the occasion when God was speaking to Abraham and making the promise to him that not only with just his descendants would he have descendants, but he would have a son. And that Abraham believes God's promise to give him a son of promise. However, James is saying to us here as he takes that quotation from Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6, he is saying, I believe that the divine assessment of Abraham's faith that it was not totally fulfilled until it was accomplished by this obedient action. As he says to us here that you see that as a result of the works, faith was perfected, that faith and works were working together, that the works that Abraham was doing, especially in offering his son Isaac on this occasion, he was showing his faith in God. He was demonstrating just how deep and how strong his faith really was. And truly Abraham's actions here in Genesis chapter 22 in binding his son and laying his son upon the altar and taking that knife in his hand and being ready to take the life of his son of promise, certainly all of those actions were just shouting these four words. The Lord will provide. And thus, again, as James points out to us here in James chapter 2, 
the action that he took, trusting in God, it perfected, it completed his faith and God's power and God's promise. And so what we have here, brothers and sisters, in Genesis 22, I think is just a powerful display for us of one who had a living and active faith. That's what James is really describing in James chapter 2, that there is a faith in which we can just say intellectually we know that there is a God. And if we do that and that's the extent of our faith, we're no better than the demons, the messengers and angels of Satan himself. But for us to have a faith that is complete and that is mature and that is perfect and a faith that will save our souls eternally, we must be people who are putting that faith into action. And he calls upon here, at least in one of these examples, the example of Abraham himself. As we continue to think thirdly about those four words from Genesis 4 that the Lord will provide, I want to suggest to you here that I think we see a preview of the resurrection. When we read and reflect on Genesis 22, our minds often immediately, and I think rightfully so, go to the cross of Calvary. Because we think about Abraham and Isaac here in Genesis 22, and then we think about Jesus later on when he came to earth. And we, I think, correctly see a lot of parallels between the what is going on here with Isaac and the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. However, the Hebrews writer, I believe, is thinking of a different event, not that we can't think of the cross of Jesus here in Genesis 22. But it seems to me as we go back again to Hebrews chapter 11 that the Hebrews writer here is not so much thinking, at least on this occasion, about the death of Jesus Christ, but the resurrection of Christ Notice what he says to us there again in Hebrews 11 and verse 19, that he, Abraham, considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type, from which Abraham also received Isaac back as a type. So Abraham's faith-filled words and actions that we've already thought about this morning on this occasion here in Genesis 22, they are really serving, the Hebrews writer said, they are serving as a type, they are a foreshadowing, they are looking forward to the greatest resurrection of all time. And that, of course, is the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Although it certainly is true, as we just read in the account in Genesis 22, that Isaac did not die on this occasion, that the angel of the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, wait a minute. Steady your hand. Don't kill your son. That we can look at Abraham's confidence that had his son died, that God had the power to raise him from the dead. And we, and he had the, we have confidence that even, through, even though Jesus did die upon the cross, that God raised him from the dead. And more than that, that God will raise us from the dead. As well, I want you to go to the passage that I mentioned just a minute ago from the book of Romans in chapter 4. Let's begin reading there at verse 19 as the Apostle Paul draws upon the great example of Abraham and his faith. He says at verse 19, Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. 
Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited, as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Although Paul, kind of like James did back there in James 2 in the passage we just looked at, Paul here in Romans 4, it seems, is connecting the Genesis 15, 6 statement to Abraham's faith and God's promise that he was going to give Abraham and Sarah, his wife, a son in their old age. He also says to us, as we just read here, that all of this was written for our sake, for our benefit as those whose faith is in him who raised Jesus from the dead, that Genesis 22, yes, should help us to think about and to learn lessons even about God giving His only Son on the cross for our sins to die on our behalf for our benefit. But at the same time, it seems that the Hebrews writer and Paul here is saying there's more in Genesis 22 than just thinking about the death of Jesus because it also ought to point to the resurrection of Jesus as well and remind us of that great power that God showed on that occasion. Today, when much of what the world calls Christianity is celebrating the birth of our Lord, let us be people who are looking at Abraham's statement here in Genesis 22 that the Lord will provide and not only be reminded that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, arose on the third day, that He overcame death, But let us also, in that statement, the Lord will provide, see a preview of our own resurrection one day as well. That if we are children of God and we live a life of faith, doesn't mean that we're perfect, that we never make mistakes, that we never think things that we shouldn't or say things that we shouldn't or take actions that are displeasing to God. But as long as we are trying to follow in the footsteps of our father of faith, Abraham, and we are trying to live a life of faith and speak words of faith, that God has made us that promise that one day we too will be raised and we will be changed and we will forever be with him that the Lord will provide for us. Here's the takeaway for all of us this morning from this sermon. That the Lord will provide not just for Abraham, but the Lord will provide for you and for me. From the example of Abraham, we learn that the Lord will provide for you and me at all times. And it may be times in our life like Abraham was facing here in Genesis chapter 22, when we are, our faith is, is put severely to the test when maybe we find that we need to do something for the Lord that makes us kind of uncomfortable and something that we would not choose without His direction and without His instruction. But we're going to put our trust and our confidence in God that some way, somehow, the Lord will provide for each of us. And especially as we're going through times in our life of great trial and sacrifice like Abraham was facing here in Genesis 22, That we don't ask why, that we don't ask, can we change the situation here? Can we do something different? But we just speak these words of faith. The Lord will provide. In fact, as you think about your own life, there may have been, or maybe you currently are going through a time or you're at a place in your life where you have just put down a stake and you have confidently said, the Lord will provide 
Maybe you're dealing with some difficulty in your life. You don't know how this is going to turn out. You can't see an answer to the problem. But your trust and your confidence is in God that some way, somehow, the Lord will provide for you. And whatever that is for you, all of us need to rest assured that if we live again like Abraham did, if we live a life of confidence and trust in God as being Jehovah God, we need to trust as Abraham trusted that the Lord will provide for me. You know, maybe the Apostle Paul kind of sums all of this up best in the book of Romans in chapter 8. When he comes to the end of that particular chapter And he says, what can separate us from the love of God? And the answer, the conclusion that he comes to is there's absolutely nothing other than ourselves removing ourselves from a relationship with God. There is nothing of this earth, nothing that Satan can bring into our life that will separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he says, how do we know that promise is true? Because God did not spare his own son. The Lord has provided for each one of us, brothers and sisters, already. Even if sometimes we may have to go without food or clothing or shelter or the necessities of life, even though there may be times in our life when we are struggling mentally or spiritually or emotionally, to remember that the Lord has already provided the greatest need that each of us has, and that is salvation from our sins. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you have this kind of confidence that Abraham had? Do you truly believe that the Lord will provide, that the Lord has provided, and that he will continue to do so? Are you a child of God this morning? If you're not, we would encourage you to take advantage of this opportunity at the end of our sermon and our service this morning. If you need to become a Christian to make that decision this very hour, Don't put that off. Don't say, well, I'm going to wait till the calendar changes to 2023 and then I'll think about spiritual things. Then I'll think about getting my life right with God. We all know 2023 may not show up, but you have an opportunity on this Sunday morning, December the 25th, 2022, to show your trust and confidence in God, to submit to His will concerning your salvation. As a child of God, You you probably know in the back of your mind that the Lord will provide, but maybe you haven't been living that way. And if that's you, you may need to repent of some things, confess some things to God, and ask for His forgiveness, and get back on that confident path that leads to an eternal life with Him. Whatever your condition might be, think about those things. If you need to respond to the invitation of Christ, do that now as we stand and as we sing.